Welcome to Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If you are a person that is tired of apologizing for being you, you know, the human part of you that sometimes feels like it has to be different at home versus work versus play, the human side that just wants to be hot, humble, open, and transparent about your wants, desires, and uniqueness. If you answered yes, this podcast is for you. Join me, Emily Elrod, as I dive into conversations with amazing guests about what they are not sorry for in creative and loving ways. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. We are live again for another Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. And I am so excited today to have Erin with me. And I feel like I'm a broken record, but a lot of my contacts are via LinkedIn and we just got to got connected over LinkedIn because you're in a very unique industry, which is the hospitality industry that has been very affected. And so we got into conversation about that and then got into deeper conversation. And here we are. And so I am extremely grateful and excited to have you on today. So, Aaron, if you can just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I live in the Northeast. I work for Mohegan Gaming and Entertainment. It's one of the larger casino hospitality companies that uh, is around and the largest in Native American gaming. Uh, I've been there quite a few years. I work in employee experience, guest experience, and everything process improvement. I love it. And so my question for you today is, Aaron, what are you not sorry for? Well, I'm not sorry that I spend so much time with all of our team members from the very front line, um, you know, to our executive levels, but really focusing much of my time on those entry level positions and the people that are out there doing the real work. And I love that you said the real work because I find so many times that people that hold power or authority get the attention a little bit more than people that hold possible influence. So for you, how has it made a difference in your work and your life and the happiness of of people around you? Well, it's made a huge difference. You know, it allows me to spend time uh, in their shoes. I try to do their work with them, taking time every month to do a different job um, and sort of rotating through different positions so that I understand what everyone goes through day in, day out. And then their pain points, what frustrates them at work, because at the end of the day, uh, my role is really to make their lives at work a little bit better, make them a little bit more fulfilling and easier so that they go home and they're proud of where they work. So, you know, that you, when you see someone happy at the end of the day, it just makes you happy, too. So I guess there's some uh, altruistic motives for that as well for myself. I love it. I always there's a quote and I do not know who said it, but it was talking about if we could could measure our company, our culture or our, our home life by the smiles that we see instead of the dollars that we get, you know, how much more impact that could, could be because the people first aspect. So for you, what is probably one of your if you shadow people and you help and, and learn what they do, what's probably one of the coolest stories you've learned or, or experiences that you've had with people? Uh, so one of the most moving stories, you know, it may not be the coolest story, is we have a guy, uh, his name's Kishore, who's been working for us for a long time. He's from India originally, um, and he works in our EVS department, our custodial department at one of our facilities. 
and have spent time with him. I always say hi. He always goes out of his way to run over to me and say hi when he sees me somewhere. Uh, but the real nice part about it was one year we were having uh, employee appreciation days at a big amusement park. We were there and he had brought his huge extended family in. He saw me. I was greeting people as they came in. He was introducing me to his kids, his grandkids, his wife. And he was just proud to, uh, you know, in, be able to introduce them to someone and you know, having those conversations with him, knowing who they were and being able to say, oh, you're you know, his son. You do this. Right. And they're like, wow, I can't believe my dad would say something like that. But just the smiles you know, brought on his face, seeing how proud he was of where he works and his family. And I, I bet that to the satisfaction, I know that you probably measure it. But you can see, and we do that on some of our ends, but people who are happier are also healthier, but they're also more likely to go the extra mile for people. So I know that you do a lot of lean principles. So how has, and anybody that doesn't know lean, it's a lot of process improvement in, in a short term. And how has it made it easier, possibly, to know the people and to know their pain points instead of, kind of telling them or making them have to do things. Yeah, so spending the time with everyone, uh, just having conversations, building those relationships long before I'm ever in their area doing the work allows them to see me as a person and not someone who you know came from a finance department or a consultant coming in who's just telling them how to do stuff, work harder, work faster, do this better, uh, being able to sit there, talk with them and work through uh, their struggles day in, day out, and then working with them to come up with a solution. Sometimes, you know, we know where we want to be at the end of the day, but having them be a part of that process, having them come up with the ideas on how to make uh, their work easier, make it, you know, just better, a better day at work you know, is far more impactful than me coming in and telling them to do something different. Because when they see themselves uh, doing the work and coming up with solutions, they're the first people to sell all that to the people that they work with. They say, oh, it's not just Aaron saying this, or it's not just this guy saying this, but let me show you. Because I, it was my idea, this is a way we can make it better. Because when I do this, my back hurts less. Or when I, we do this, we do it faster. When we do this, you know, it's just easier and it's, uh, people like it more. I love that. Because that's one of the harder lessons I learned whenever I was in designing machinery and it yeah. was I've I was like hey this is my idea like use it and they're like uh you don't know what you're doing you're making this in a perfect box and like and the strategy to it needs to be their idea because I always say the healthiest lifestyle you're gonna live is the one you're actually gonna live the most productive life is the one that you're gonna live and so whatever that is you got to figure it out so for your roles and in your processes so how have you been able to take that home and be able to be, in essence, better at, in a home life? Because I know we're talking about work, but also I think there's a home and work all flow together. So how has that helped you spending time with everyone? It's definitely probably more of a struggle at home because at the end of the day, right, um, I'm probably the least senior member of my <laughs> household, right, with the dogs just slightly above <laughs> me. Um, but I would say one thing you don't want to do is go around your house and say, we haven't used this in a month, put a sticker on it and say, if we don't use it again, I'm throwing it out. Um, I would say don't do that, especially if you're early into your lean journey or, um, because you're going to wake up one morning and that sticker or all those stickers or tags are going to be on you. Uh, 
but I would say, you know, it's definitely helped in, you know, just even childcare around the house. We've been quarantined now for a few months. So going from daycare and all of this external help that we have, you know, to all of a sudden we're stuck at home, we can't do that much. And how we start looking at the work we do around the home and how we can divide up the work, maybe a little bit different, share responsibilities and workload, give you know my wife time to go out, do whatever she needs to do, even if it's just uh, take a nap or get away from me and the kids and vice versa, allow me to get out, go for a run. Um, right? I think it's been on that work delineation and just shared responsibilities at the house more than uh, one of us telling each other to do something better, faster, quicker. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, that's so true. As I told my kids to go through their stuff this afternoon that, or so that we could give some more stuff to Goodwill because we just have so much stuff. But it is when it's their idea. We don't tell them what they have to get away. Just give me a small paw here. Yeah. But so going back to I'm not sorry for spending time with everyone. Why or how did you get to that? Because usually whenever we're not sorry for something, we may have been sorry before. We found ourselves apologizing prior. What led you to the point of being like, okay, everybody matters. And it's important for me to spend time with everyone. I think it's a mix. I think it's partially how I was raised and how we grew up just always out there you know some charity work helping other people and just having a wide breadth of friends and neighbors and you know, as then I got older just having um, a diverse friend group and then at work some trial and error just understanding that in some of the areas I was spending some time with and that first time you know I did a day in the life with a group the relationships I built and how much they came up to me and they were talking and they wanted to give me ideas with different things. And um, I wasn't there for anything else versus some of the areas I had worked in and where I tried to help first before getting to know the people, just um, quickly learning that those relationships and spending time with people really matters more than um, thinking, you know, everything or having fancy degrees or whatever it is, you know, those relationships matter more. And now with uh, places coming out of quarantine, who's going to have the best ideas? It's not going to be um, someone who's always spent their life in an office. It's those frontline folks that have to clean, that have to sanitize, that have to interact with the guests um, so that you can quickly pivot based on the feedback that they have as you open saying, well, this isn't working. Can we try this instead? as opposed to just saying, this is our new rule, follow it, and we're doing it and moving on from it, just taking their feedback and constantly uh, adapting and changing based on that feedback. And I love that too, because I joke and I always say it's bad business, but there's no need to hire me or my team for consulting services, because if you just ask your people, in essence, that's what I do. I come in and I ask your people, what do they want and how could they be more efficient? Hmm. or whatever we do, frustration elimination, so working on stress. But that's what I love is that you guys do that. And it's all about what we talk about is psychological safety and the importance of what psychological safety is, is coming together and being able to have a voice and not feel like your head's going to get bit off. How has that been important for allowing people to, one, have the relationships, but be able to have open dialogue with 
each other and not feel like you're going to get retribution for calling something out or saying something. A lot of it goes back to relationships. There are, I mean, we're not, we're far from perfect as an organization. Some departments, some properties uh, do it better than others, but in those really high performing areas, it's where they've seen the success where someone came up with an idea. Uh, one of their coworkers said, you know what, that's a great idea. Or said, you know, I said that a couple of years ago, someone said, no, we couldn't do it. And, but they're not, they're now bringing it up to their supervisor, their manager. And that person says, you know, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And they implement it. It goes well. And someone sees that little bit of success and they say, oh, I have this other idea. And it just builds on that. And, you know, constantly having that feedback and having that leader who then says, hey, you know, um, Samantha said we were going to do this thing. We implemented it. How's it working? And just putting yourself out there and constantly looking for the feedback instead of doing it and moving it, moving on, you have to constantly be looking for that additional feedback. I love it. And one thing that I've learned and what I have to tell people is that they have to be ready for feedback. It's just like with your spouse or if it's just like if you really open like a real question, you want true solicited feedback, you have to be ready for it. So how do you help people take down kind of that ego to be able to, to listen um, to the diverse diversity? We talked about that earlier, like diverse opinions and, and diverse thinking. Yeah, it's hard mm-hmm. um, because the feedback's not always positive. It's not always what you want to hear, um, but you have to start building that culture of feedback and that continual loop where it's not uh, just a survey that you do once every couple of years where you ask for some feedback and you can read it and ignore it and move on, but really driving and trying to get that feedback on a regular basis, knowing it's not all going to be perfect. And it's rarely, I mean, sometimes it's about you, but it's rarely about you. It's more about that situation that that team member, that employee finds himself in day in, day out. That could be frustrating um, and listening to it and really putting yourselves in their shoes and saying, well, yeah, we can't do that because, um, but how could we could do it if, right? mm-hmm. how could we do it? Um, mm-hmm. But really shortening that feedback cycle. So instead of every couple of years, it's a year, it's a quarter, once a quarter, once a month, once a week, where you're constantly seeking feedback. And maybe it's not from everyone, um, but it's from a small group. And then each time it's a different group. So you have uh, diverse sets of opinions, different ideas, different suggestions coming through. I love it. And what we talk about is not being like-minded, but being like-hearted. And so you have core values. Most companies have values and you want to stick there. I mean, it could be innovation, creativity, whatever. Um, and it might be customer experience, whatever, employee experience. How have you found having people that have, and again, going back to the word diverse, diverse opinions, and to find the new ideas to get to win-win situations. Um, so we are a large organization, you know, more than 15,000 employees. Our flagship location has 7,000 of those employees. Uh, but we're diverse from a standpoint where we are not a publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mohegan Gaming and Entertainment is owned by the Mohegan Tribe of Indians here in Connecticut. And, you know, so that them as a tribe, they're not thinking about just making uh, quarterly financial results look great. They're thinking, you know, traditionally seven generations ahead. So they have the time to invest in people into the organization and 
really look ahead because it's not about today or tomorrow. It's really about you know, many generations ahead. But as you know, our facility, especially here in Connecticut, has developed, it drew in large pools of talent that came from New York, came from Boston, uh, many first-generation immigrants from the Caribbean, um, from really all over. And we have a map in Connecticut where people are able to put little pins in all the different countries they were from. And it was over 100 different countries that are, were represented here in Connecticut, where um, I would say most of Connecticut and many other areas um, that are slightly rural would struggle to have a population like that. But when we look at process improvement and improving different areas, you know, we have a very diverse, we also pull in people from different areas. So it's not just people that work day in, day, day out in one area. We pull in people that maybe touch that area ancillary or have no idea um, what that area does day in, day out, because they're going to have different ideas and be, it may not work, but it may trigger a thought for someone who does work in that area. Oh, well, we can't do that, but we could do that if we did this other thing first. I love it. Ah, oh, so good. So good. And okay, so another quick, because I have like a million questions going through my head. I'm going to try not to do that to you. Um, how has it helped having other people see in on each other's like processing and to get where basically it sounds like you have the similar mindset that everybody has, you know, that we're all coming together. So how did you go about that to kind of create a culture? What are some big steps that uh, people should make? Um, I would say it was a long time to get to this point, but it goes back to, like you said earlier, our core values are, you know, part of or one of them is about building relationships. So, and then continuously striving for perfection. And there's something else you can do. But we had a leader a while back who um, in the organization really made it a focus of putting the employees first, really focused on um, Harvard Business Review, came up with this very complicated model uh, called the service profit chain. And if you put your employees first, you really focus on them and create and cultivate the right culture, the right environment, and you treat them well, they're going to treat your guests well. And when the guests are treated well, they're going to spend more money with you. They're going to be more loyal. Yeah. You know, so at the end of the day, you know that money follows that. So he really focused on building uh, those relationships, really focused on putting employees first. And then from there, we've had a couple, a, six, a series of leaders that have just taken it to the next level um, by focusing on treating you know, first and foremost, those frontline team members first. Um, and we started, you know, basic surveys initially where it was that once a year survey and then it became a little bit more frequent. And then we started quarterly town halls and bigger departments and monthly meetings and really driving it down. So those feedback cycles were smaller and smaller and listening. Um, mm -hmm. I think listening is not overrated at all, right? It's probably very underrated and sometimes just not saying anything, even if you know an idea is not going to work, just saying that that's a great idea, we'll look into it. And then coming back, if you say you're gonna do something, you know, do it and follow up with people is another huge thing. So listen more and always follow up with people. And I agree on the follow-up too is a huge, because what I found is one client we were working with, they did a survey and it took a year and a half to even address it. And the, and the stuff was pretty hard stuff to address. 
And then they just kind of like swept it under the rug and, and still they looked at it collectively, but then put it back down. Mm-hmm. Um, and how disheartening that was. And again, going back to that psychological safety that people, they spoke up, they said their words, nothing happened. And so I guess, I think that's the other thing about the relationship building. Um, how have you found that listening with intent not to fix, but if there's a fix, let's get to action. Hmm. How has that impacted the success? And like you said, having those windows of time. Uh, accountability to some degree, right? Because the worst thing you can do is have that survey, tell people you're going to listen and do stuff and then do nothing because you've lost any trust. Um, people are not going to be willing to speak up. They're not going to do anything. Uh, the next time you ask them for help or the next time you ask them for feedback because it's, well, I gave them feedback. They said they were going to do something. No one did anything. No one cares. Um, but if you put some accountability around those actions, so say you do that survey for the first time and there's a bunch of stuff, you know, I would say share the feedback with the team. Maybe not all of the comments are open-ended verbatims, but you share your scores and say here's you know some of the areas and maybe you ask them for additional feedback we know it's not you but why do you think people would feel like that and you can come up with a shared action plan and then post it publicly so you as a leader or the organization you sort of force them to be held accountable saying these are the things we may not be able to do these hundred items but of those hundred items you said here are the 10 we're going to do this year or this quarter and as you do them you put updates and say hey we did this and how's that working and and if leaders are not willing to do that, you know, maybe they shouldn't be a leader. Uh, but it really comes back to accountability, holding them accountable for making a better environment for the people that work for them. Mm-hmm. And I agree. And I found also in family life how that's the other thing is holding. Um, we say that a lot of communication is, uh, they say communication is the number one reason for divorce, or whatever. But we say unmet, unmet expectations. And setting those expectations with accountability. I'll say I'm a doer. I like to get things done. I love my husband, but I say sometimes he's a talker. And so what we have found, I'll say in our marriage, and it's learning. And it's funny how like life and work, we always want to put an and, but if we embrace the and or put a versus, but if we embrace that and, we could really learn a lot. So I didn't know if you had any uh Final thoughts or anything that you've learned from home, work, or play that has really impacted by spending time with everybody and, like you said, staying accountable and just loving on people and treating people like they should be. Um, So not so much from home life or marriage life, but if you think sports or even just physical fitness, a lot of times it's about keeping score. And we found even in at work, if you keep score, um, no one wants to be ranked last as a leader. So if you publicly post those scores and they can see where their peers rank up to them, no one wants to be last. You, you can remove the names and just tell someone their score and publicly post the list or the scores. Um, you know, it's like working out. If you have people to work out with or running buddies, you're going to work that little bit harder if you know that they're working that little bit harder. Um, so I think, you know, similar to work, it's accountability, sometimes some group peer pressures some group accountability. And, um, during this quarantine time, you know, I always stayed relatively physically fit, but I have some friends that aren't one of them said, Hey, let's do this challenge during uh, quarantine. It was burpees. I don't do burpees. I don't like them, 
but he wanted to do them. So I said, sure, I'll do them with you. And we got a few other friends to do it. And, um, you know, we made some wagers around it if you didn't do them or you backed out. But at the end, you know, we all held each other accountable, gave each other a hard time until they got it done each day. So everyone's a little bit more fit now because of that. I love it. That's so much fun too, is that coming together. And I love that you guys openly have accountability. Some people get nervous on that, but I think that's true. Um, a true sign of success and a true sign of leadership is backing it. And that you're going to, it's really going to be embedded into the culture. And so I, I appreciate you for that. I appreciate for your time. Um, I do want to say that Ryan, he popped on and said, hey, as well. Um, so we'll pull up his comment. So he said, hey, Emily, so thank you for joining us. And thank you all that if you guys have any questions, as always, you can um, put them in the comments below. We'd love to hear from you. But if not, we also will um, say we hope you have an amazing day. And so we'll do one final last word. I would say take a day, half a day, go and spend time in someone else's shoes where you work, put on the uniform, um, go out there, do the work with someone, know none of their leaders around, just go out there, ask them for feedback and do the work for a day. And you'll be blown away by the feedback that you receive. And at the end of the day, you're probably going to either make more money or save money by spending that time with someone else. I love it. Thank you so much again for your time, Aaron. And thank you all that join watching in. We hope you have an awesome and blessed day. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Unapologetically Bold. I'm not sorry for. If this touched you in any way, please like and subscribe and share with your friends as we continue the message of being unapologetically bold by being hot humans who are humble, open, and transparent. See you next time.